Am I on now? Is this me? We, we're doing it. We're on. Okay, brilliant stuff. Uh, I chose that piece of scripture to be read out at the beginning. It's one of my favourites. I love listening uh, to, to the words about the call of the first disciples or any, any sort of calling to the Lord's work. Um, from Isaiah, Elisha, uh, Elijah, all the way through to the disciples. This is one of my favourite ones. We use this quite a lot uh, when I'm talking to soldiers uh, about what I do uh, and about maybe what they're going to go into as well. What I love about the Bible is there's a lot of comparisons to the military and the Bible. And this is this is one of them, you know, um, the, the way these men would go off into the unknown, um, but would give their whole lives for it. They left everything. They left everything and followed Jesus Christ, which to me, he must have been an amazing chap. Jesus Christ must have been. Uh, first of all, he was a carpenter and he told the fishermen what to do. Uh, if, that, if, that was in the, if that was the RAF and they came to the British Army, uh, we, we'd bury him somewhere. To be so, um, so he must have had some power. He was son of God. He was God. And you can see that all the way through. And I love it it's because it, it reminds me of why I do what I do. Yes, I work for SASRA. Yes, it's a gospel organisation. I love SASRA, 10 of those. It's all about Jesus. It's got to be about Jesus. You take Jesus out of any of the equation and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So what I do is all about Jesus Christ and working for SASRA is just a bonus because they still work with the military. Um, I'm going to try and do a couple of things tonight and that's share a bit of personal testimony and then uh, talk about the work uh, with SASRA. Excuse me. I'm a bit froggy tonight. I've been for a while, but there we go. I'll put that down there. Um, going back to that piece of scripture, I just love it um, because it reminds me of my calling, uh, not just to full-time Christian ministry, but to Jesus Christ itself. Um, it's my, my story starts off in London. I am from London. I was born in Hammersmith many, many moons ago. Uh, I was born into a working class family. My dad was a market trader at the time. My dad's an ex-paratrooper. So market trader, ex-paratrooper, he left home when he was 14. Um, it's interesting thinking recently, um, I'm still sort of a hangover from the Second World War in a sense, that my, my family was shaped uh, because of events that happened in the Second World War. My dad's dad fought in the Spanish Civil War. My dad's dad was actually a coal miner from the northeast um, and emigrated down south because he saw the light. Um, he, he didn't want to be up north anymore. It's grim, they, that's what they told him. So we went down south, he fought in the Spanish Civil War, then he went into the Second World War. Um, but like a lot of guys, even I meet now, he came back from the wars, very, very messed up. He was an alcoholic. He was very violent. Um, so, so it broke the home up sort of immediately after the Second World War. So my dad found himself on the streets at the age of 14. Um, and his dream was to make millions and millions of pounds. Um, so he joined a parachute regiment. I think he was 17 and a half. And the only reason he joined a parachute regiment is because they're the ones that earn the most money because they throw themselves at a perfectly good air aircraft. <laughs> um, most of us, it's land or go on a boat or something, um, but they don't. So he joined a parachute regiment, did a few years with the army, a few years in the paras, and came out and still had this ambition um, to be rich. Um, so he went to Covent Garden and became a barrow boy. Um, used to sell fruit and veg in Covent Garden and basically built his own business up through being a barrow boy, um, bought his own sort of franchise, bought a shop, bought a bigger franchise 
And, and I don't know what you know about market traders, and I don't know if there's any here as well, but market traders will make, well, most of them, uh, will make money either legally or illegally. Uh, my dad uh, loved to make money, and it didn't matter whether it was legally or illegally. Um, he would deal in stolen goods. So if you, if you take Arthur Daly and cross him with Del Boy Trotter and Ronnie Cray, you've sort of got my dad, <laughs> to be fair. And that's the sort of family I was brought up in. We lived in a flat over the shop. We had a greengrocer, fruit and veg shop, and we lived over the flat in the shop uh, in Acton. And that's where I grew up. And it was quite common for us to have all sorts of interesting items in our cupboards, like video machines and cuddly toys, watches. Um, I think the most ridiculous thing he ever did was come home uh, with a brown paper bag, close the shop, and we still had the old-fashioned scales, and he poured a whole bag of diamonds into the scales. Uh, it had been a robbery. My dad looked after him for a couple of weeks, and he got paid a lot of money for it. And that's the way he made his money. Um, everything was going swimmingly. That's the way we, we lived. I was used to that. He, my dad wasn't afraid of using his fists if he needed to, but I was so used to that sort of way of life. And then one day, and this is the connection actually with um, the singer that was at the few, Man oh, from Man, man. Yeah, Paul yeah. Jones. Um, uh, my my dad's um, shop was quite near the BBC studios, so I used to get a few famous people in. A couple that know Paul and Fiona Jones is Dave and Tina Cook, and they came into the shop. She was a Blue Peter presenter. Um, he played keyboard for Cliff Richards. So my dad loved that. He loved the fact they were a bit of celebrity. But what he didn't realise is they were both crispy Christians. And so he got to know them a little bit, used to wind them and dine them. They accepted that. And it's cut a very long story short. One Christmas, they took my mum and dad to a Candles by Carolite service in Ealing Broadway. And my mum and dad were made a profession of faith. Um, and my dad went on in the ministry. He was a great evangelist, my dad. He, he loved working with the youth in London. Um, but some bright spark told him that he should be a Baptist minister and he trained for Baptist ministry, um, which meant we had to move out of London. Uh, he went up north and we ended up in Bradford. Uh, that's where my love affair of the church really ended, to be fair. Um, I, um, it was his first ever church. He was still training. Um, and, I, and I actually, I did, I did. I fell out with the church massively. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to go to Bradford. Um, and I hated it, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I also didn't appreciate what happened to my father. I liked him when he was a rogue and I found Christians embarrassing. I found it all very embarrassing that this hardened paratrooper um, would become a Christian and then a Baptist minister. And I didn't even tell anybody what my dad did for a living. Um, I soon found out because, you know, he was a local minister. So it wasn't hard for them. So I rejected Christ and I rejected Christianity when I was about 15 years old. And I was determined to take off from where he, he had finished. Um, so I did, I did what he did. I left school with no education whatsoever. I couldn't be bothered with school. I unfortunately got myself into a gang. I got myself involved in violence. Um, and all I ever wanted to do was join the British Army. So once we moved to Warrington, I went to Bridge Street in Warrington and uh, signed on the dotted line. And went home and told my dad, he wasn't surprised. No one was surprised. Everyone expected me to do it. And at 17 and a half, enlisted into the British Army uh, and went off uh, to do basic training. Um, I love being a soldier. It was fantastic. Um, I love basic training. I didn't have any problem with basic training whatsoever. I was very fit. I'd always play sport, football, rugby. Uh, the one good thing about Bradford is it introduced me to rugby league. Um, so I, I played a lot of rugby league when I lived in Bradford. 
And um, so, so joining the army to me was 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 easy. I didn't find it hard at all. Um, the only problem was that <laughs> all that pent up aggression. Um, the army would teach you how to use that. Um, but but I I loved the fact that I was now a soldier. I, I was young. I was very fit, and I felt untouchable. So I just li- lived the life of an absolute wild man. Um, I joined the Royal Corps of Transport. So I went off to Leckenfield in Hull or near Hull to do my driver training. And I got banned from driving within the first um, couple of months of being there. So I got what they called RTU, return to unit. And they didn't know what to do with me they, uh, because I got in trouble that way. Um, the army didn't really want me. Um, so thankfully, the Royal Logistic Corps had just come in. They they became Royal Logistic Corps in 1992. So I was able to go into the Royal Logistic Corps as a combat supply specialist uh, and to learn my trade that way. So my job was to go to field force units and supply all their combat equipment and go with them, which I loved. I really enjoyed that. Um, first posting was in Aldershot. Uh, I could honestly say that I did most of my fighting for Queen and Country in the first year on the streets of Aldershot. Aldershot back then was amazing. There were so many different regiments. The parachute regiment was there. Um, and it was just a free-for-all. Usually on a Thursday night, it was absolute, absolute mayhem. Uh, it's not the same now, thank goodness. Um, but um, that, that's, that's, that's what it was. I met my wife very early on. I met Amanda when I was 18 years old. I actually met her when I was 16 at my dad's church uh, that he was a minister of. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really um, get to meet her properly until I was about 18. And we got married really quickly. I, I'm, Amanda's five years older than me, so I'm her toy boy. Um, so we were 19 when we got married. And she, all she knew is she married the minister's son. She didn't really know me. She saw me at weekends and only at weekends where I was as nice as I possibly could be. Um, but it was unfortunately a different story when we got married. Um, we got married, moved into army quarters, and I wasn't interested I really couldn't care less whether I was married or not. My life was the army. My life was the lads um, going out, drinking, fighting, uh, getting his, into as much mischief as I possibly could. And believe it or not, the army do not like that. They don't like being brought into disrepute. So I was disciplined all the time. And my poor wife just just didn't know what to do. Uh, we had Shannon very, very quickly um, within the first year of being married. So I was married um, to Amanda with a child. Uh, and I still lived the life of a wild man. And uh, it was a real pity. I, I was a pretty horrible person, to be fair. Um, but I can't do anything about that. Um, it, it was it was a tragedy, really. I had no interest in the church whatsoever. I caused Amanda to backslide. I banned Amanda from reading the Bible publicly. I said, we can't have any Christian books in the house. And she was absolutely devastated. Mm. She didn't know what to do, but she she didn't leave me. She stuck with me. She began to go to Aldershot Baptist Church. I wanted nothing to do with the place whatsoever. Um, I got sent to Bosnia in 1995 initially. Um, I was a peacekeeper out in Bosnia. Um, Amanda was expecting our second child um, at the time. Uh, we'd been posted to Germany. Uh, if you've been in the army, most of, most people would have spent a little bit of time in Germany. I was unaccompanied in Germany for the first few months. And um, I loved it because German beer is strong. Um, it was it was an absolute free for all out there. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a war zone in a pretty disgusting civil war. Um, it's quite interesting warfare. Um, I think I've seen the most darkest of humanity 
Um, when I went to Bosnia, uh, ethnic cleansing, you name it, murders, it was it was all going on. Racketeering, we didn't really know who the enemy was because there was at least six different factions fighting each other. Um, but if I'm going to be honest with you, it was my the, the time I enjoyed most as a soldier was being on operational tours. I love being out in Bosnia. I love patrolling the streets. I love being uh, in and amongst it. And it was a fantastic time for me. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that later when it, in regards to the men I work with in a minute. Um, but that's that's what you want to do in the army. You want to go to combat you want to, or you want to go to a war zone and you want to do your job properly. And I absolutely loved it. Um, two things happened in Bosnia when I was out there. Uh, the first thing was um, towards the end of the tour, I had a really good tour and actually managed to behave myself uh, because the, the alcohol was quite limited. So I'd done really well and I was looking at possibly getting promoted. So the first thing that happened, um, which really challenged me, was uh, I got stuck in a minefield. Now, I don't know about anybody here. There's a famous saying that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. But let me tell you something. When you drive into a minefield and you don't actually blow up, the first thing you do is sort of pray. Uh, and I remember looking at my mate thinking, oh, this is bad. Um, and so I prayed. I prayed that loud and I said... Uh, typical sort of prayer, God, if you get me out of this, I will follow you for the rest of my life. Interestingly enough, I knew enough about Christianity that I could pray. Um, well, it was my job as the um, uh, guard, as the uh, escort, the armed escort, to guide my mate out of this minefield. Now, we were in a 14-ton metal lorry, and these mines were magnetic. Uh, and they were the sort of mines that hit the vehicle and turn into molten lava, and they make a right mess of you if they go off. Um, but I managed uh, with utter skill uh, to uh, reverse my friends out of the minefield. And then we had a bit of a giggle about it, because you do. And we sort of sat there and laughed. And I never gave God another thought, to be fair. We carried on on that particular trip. The next day, incidentally, we found ourselves on the front line by accident. We were really good, me and my mate. And um, So if you've got any map reading going on, don't ask us. It's quite simple in Bosnia, to be fair, because we're only one road. We just managed to come off of it. And um, we're, we, we got in trouble with the local uh, militia there. We thought we were going to get shot the next day as well. So those two incidences really got, you know, I, I prayed twice on that particular trip, but got back and never thought much about it. The last week of the tour, we were down in Split in Croatia, uh, having a bit of downtime. And uh, the locals had come to see us, some of the local Croats, and they bought us a little thing called uh, Slipovic. Uh, now, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Uh, you don't want to hear about it. It's basically moonshine. And uh, you drink it and it strips your insides. Um, so we'd, we'd had a few Slipoviches. We used to call it Sleep in the Ditch. And um, uh, I woke up the next day. Uh, in a police cell in Bosnia. Um, apparently, there'd been a big fracas. Um, someone had got badly injured. There's a possibility it might have been me. This is recorded, isn't it? They still haven't found out, so I can't say too much. No. Um, possibly, there was a few of us involved. Uh, and basically, on my last week of my tour of duty, uh, I went home. Amanda met me at the airport, all hugs and kisses. And I said, it's really good to see you. I'm probably going to prison uh, for 15 months. I was looking at a charge of actual bodily harm, such and such. Mm. Um, thankfully, it wasn't me. Um, I was there, but I don't remember much about it, if I'm honest with you. Um, and the actual charges got dropped. There was no admissible evidence, and, and it got dropped. But it did put me on an interesting path. Um, I couldn't settle when I got back to Germany. The incidents that happened out in Bosnia, being in Bosnia itself, was 
pretty nutty, to be honest with you. Um, the lawlessness of it all. But the one thing that really got to me is I'd prayed. I'd prayed. And the Lord took that seriously, whether I did or not. Um, because of misdemeanours, I got put on a promotion ban. I tried my best to change as a soldier. I became a dog handler, a patrol dog handler. Did the course. Uh, but it was not happening for me. I was basically told that my career uh, was over. And I'd only served six years in the British Army. I was absolutely devastated. Um, but I knew, and my wife knew, for the sake of our marriage, I had to leave the army. So after six years, I left the army and moved to sleepy Cambridgeshire, where my mum and dad, uh, father-in-law lived. Uh, we had to move in with them because we were homeless. Um, back then, the army didn't give you that much when you left after a short period of time. So I was I, I was a newly fresh from combat zone soldier, uh, quite a bad drink problem, problem with violence, uh, no home. Uh, a wife and two young children, no job, and I was just a lost soul, absolutely lost. Uh, my wife immediately started going back to church. Um, she went to church in, in Ramsey and Cambridgeshire and Needingworth, and um, I, I did not want to go at all. And she sat me down one day and said to me, Lee, you need Jesus Christ. There's the only one thing that is going to change you. There's only one thing that will sort you out. You need Jesus Christ. She shared the gospel with me. My wife had enough bottle to share the gospel. My wife's quite a, a lovely, quiet woman, sort of. She talks a lot, but she's, still, she's nice. She's a really nice person. Okay, She's a Londoner. She's from East London, so we don't talk about that very much. It's from across the water, but there we go. Um, but she had enough bottle to stand me up. She's only small and say, you need the gospel. Knowing what my reaction was be, my reaction was exactly what she expected. Uh, I packed my bags and told her I was leaving her. Uh, my grandfather still lived in a flat in Fulham, and I was going to go and move in with him, because no one else would actually have me, to be fair, at the time. Um, for whatever reason, on that Sunday, I went to church with her. I went to Needhamworth Baptist Church. There was a guy called John Mark Twain um, preaching, uh, he, I think he went on to be director of UFM and things like that. He's now in um, university evangelism. Um, but he was preaching and um, I thought he was from Argentina. So I wanted to see him afterwards because I wanted to have a right old go at him. He wasn't. His sister was a missionary in Argentina. <laughs> I got my wires crossed. But it didn't matter. It meant I still talked to him afterwards. And I, I, did, I agreed to meet him in the pub the following week. And that's his evangelism for you. He met me in the pub. Uh, I was a postman at the time, so I'd, I'd already had a couple of pints, um, so I had a bit of Dutch courage. Interesting enough, he was Dutch, which is interesting. Um, he was an ex-soldier, Dutch Special Forces, if there is such a thing. I've never heard of it. But anyway, I'm still, yet, I'm still yet to be convinced, to be honest with you. But there we go. Anyway, it's another story. But he had, again, he had enough bottle to meet with me, and I was a different bloke back then, to meet with me uh, once a week to share the gospel with me. To open up scriptures. So I didn't leave my wife. I started going to church. I started going to the Bible study. I told them, don't worry, my dad's a Baptist minister. I'm a Christian. You haven't got to convert me. And um, but here's the thing. I was as lost as lost can be. Um, in the midweek Bible study, they were studying holiness by J.C. Ryle. Um, I didn't understand any of it. Except for one session we did. And I can't remember what it was on. But I began to sweat. I remember sweating profusely in that little Bible study room. 
And my wife, Amanda, saying, you all right? Is everything all right? You've got a fever. What's wrong with you? It wasn't that. I recognised that I wasn't saved. Mm. I recognised for the first time I wasn't saved. Mm. And that week, I <coughs> battled. I wrestled with God. Is it Jacob? Just like Jacob. Okay, I wrestled. What was it, Isaac? I can't remember. Who wrestled with God? Jacob. Jacob. It was Jacob, wasn't it? Um, I wrestled with God like Jacob. Uh, there was no way I was... I didn't know what to do. Because I realised that if I gave in, I'd have to acknowledge that I was a terrible, terrible sinner and I needed to repent and needed Jesus Christ in my life. So I wrestled for a week. I actually grew a beard that week. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I had an awful week. And by the end of that week, well, this is what happens. I was a postman at the time. Uh, I picked the kids up from school while Amanda worked in the evening. I remember picking my kids up from school, putting them in front of the TV to watch CBeebies or whatever they were watching then. I just wasn't going to go in the kitchen and make myself a cup of tea. But I walked into that kitchen and I had an overwhelming feeling that I was going to hell. I had an overwhelming feeling that I was so, so lost that I was in deep, deep trouble. Mm. It was like my whole life was presented before me in that kitchen, just as the kettle was boiling. And I found myself on my knees in our kitchen crying out to Jesus and saying, if you are there, will you save me? Please, please save me. I got up, made my cup of tea, and went and watched CBeebies with the kids. I didn't feel any different until the next day. It wasn't like a ping moment. It wasn't a strike of light. But I, I looked at my wife the next day and realised <coughs> I loved her. I looked at my kids the next day and realised that I loved them. I was a postman. I looked at the trees, this sound weird, but I looked at the trees and the grass and the birds and saw how beautiful they were for the first time in my entire life. And I realised that I was saved. I realised that Jesus Christ had come into my heart and had radically and completely, utterly forgiven me, set me free and transformed me. Now, society can reform, but only Jesus Christ can transform. I didn't tell my wife, I didn't tell anybody. I went to Argos that afternoon and I bought her a little cross and presented it to her. And she just broke down and wept. My eldest daughter, Shannon, we've got a great relationship now. She's a lovely Christian woman, is Shannon. She said to me, she must have, I can't remember how old she was, doesn't matter. But she said to me, I don't know what's happened, Daddy, but I love you now. I didn't love you before. They had all seen that something had happened to me. And so I got enough bottle at the weekend. All of Amanda's family were there. Um, I remember Amanda's family being there. And uh, I just stood up as blase as soldiers do, really, and said, oh, yeah, by the way, I've become a Christian this week. And everyone was weeping and, like, <laughs> crying. They've been praying for me for so, so long. Um, to cut a very long story short, as soon as I became a Christian, as soon as I realised what had happened, that transformation, um, this is why the true gospel is so important. John Mark shared with me the true gospel. He brought Jesus into everything. It was the Bible. It was it was conviction uh, through the word of God that challenged me. This is why it's so important. I knew that so firmly that I knew that I had to become an evangelist. I, did, I, wasn't, I didn't have any intention of going to full-time ministry, but I knew I had to share the gospel with every single person I met. So I remained a postman for a bit. I became a police community support officer because I thought I'd get involved in um, different things and would be able to share the gospel there. 
Um, I love being a PCSO. Then I left that and become a drug and alcohol uh, rehabilitation officer uh, in, with Peterborough District Council. Um, but ultimately, I had a feeling that I was going to go back to the military. Um, I left <coughs> I left those jobs and went back to being a postman because my then minister had convinced me to become a Baptist minister. So I was I was getting prepared to train to be a minister, go to Milton Keynes and help plant the church. But 9-11 happened, uh, Gulf 2 happened. I was a reserve soldier. I signed on a reserve list ever since I left the army. And they just kicked me off, actually, because I'm too old now. It's weird, isn't it? How <laughs> strange is that? But I'm a bit gutted about that. But there we go. Anyway, that's a different story. Um, they... That all happened, and I knew that I, I was called to go back into the military somehow. I remember re- meeting one scripture reader when I was a soldier, Derek Yarwood. Uh, he was out in Germany, and one previous, actually, Bob Clayton. Um, and, and I remember that they were kind-hearted people. Um, now, Southwood didn't even have a decent website back then, but I managed to find out where they were. I think I wrote them a letter and rang them. Um, now, the first time I did that was in 1999, uh, the year I was converted, and they took one look at me and went, not a chance. Um, they said, not yet, go off and do a few things. But a few years later, after 9-11, after Afghanistan, I'd been involved in church. I was a youth leader. I was a deacon of the local church uh, in Ramsey. Um, we went through all the interviews and were accepted uh, for SASRA. Um, and we have not stopped since, really. We hit the road running. You do about a year and a half worth of training, Back then, it was London City Mission we went to, which was great because I loved evangelising in London. I felt like the Lord treated me to that. He took me back home to be an evangelist just for a little while, and I absolutely adored it. I love being in London. I love standing on, I know it's like to stand on Tower Hill on a little wooden box and preach the gospel and do door knocking around Islington. I absolutely adored it, but I could not wait to get my hands on the soldiers. So we got posted straight out to Germany. God laughs at the plans of men. When we left, um, when we left, what's the time? That's all right. about ages, isn't right. yeah. When we left Germany as a soldier and soldier's wife, I made three statements. This is the honest truth. I said, I'll never ever want to go back to Germany again. I don't want nothing to do with the army ever again. And I don't want anything to do with God or religion. But I became a Christian, joined Sazra, and they posted us straight out to Germany. We went straight back to Gutterslow, which is where we were when we left the army. And there were at least six or seven men there that I'd served with. Now, what you've got to remember is, um, when this, this to soldiers means a lot. When, when you look at a soldier, they don't look you in the eye, they look at your chest. Or your, or your epaulets. So I met my mate Tomo. He was one of the guys that was involved with me out in Bosnia with a frac card. And we hadn't seen each other since. And he recognised me. I couldn't believe it. And he said, Lee, or Mac, they used to call him Mac in the army. Mac, you've re-enlisted and you've done really well for yourself. You've, you've, bec- you've got warrant officer. I said, no, mate, I'm the scripture reader. And he just walked off. <laughs> it was one of them comedy moments. And then he walked back again. He pointed and he went... And he walked off and he could not talk to me. He honestly he said, you know, what, David Yarwood's a scripture, he's old and he's got grey hair. And he, I said, yeah, no, I'm the scripture reader, mate. He said, what's happened? So he invited me around for a drink with some of the lads. Um, I was teetotal at that stage. And um, they found that bizarre. But I said, who's done it? Who did it to you? We'll get, we'll get them, mate. We'll, him. we'll smash them up. You know, we don't, what's happened to you? 
And um, but actually, it was wonderful that they were there because once I got used to the fact I'd become a Christian and I was a scripture reader, they actually assisted me hugely in my ministry. It would have been very, very difficult just to turn up to a unit out in Germany, not knowing anybody, and just sort of starting from scratch. So we spent a good um, five years in Germany, and we were there, um, I would say, for the fiercest <coughs> fighting out in Afghanistan that our British forces went through. Um, it's nothing like the First or Second World War. We all know that. Um, but we were losing soldiers, at least one or two a week at that stage, and some horrific injuries um, psychologically. Now, if that happens in my lessons at, um, on camp, that's 25 press-ups. So you can, just, you can just do that whenever you want. I haven't got a problem with mobile phones, but if you want to start pushing them out, that's absolutely fine. Or if not, we'll take you to the regimental sergeant major. I'm all right, it's all right. I'd better check mine, actually. Uh, it's worse when the speaker's phone goes off. No, you're all right. You haven't got to do 25. I'll just see you later for 15. Um, where was I? I can't remember where I was. I was at, yeah, so, so we were there through the fiercest fighting of Afghanistan. And... The army in wartime, this is going to sound horrible, but it is true. The army is like a well-oiled machine during wartime. I saw the finest, the best of the British army when we were fighting out in Afghanistan. It was absolutely phenomenal. And it was such an amazing privilege to be part of uh, the chaplaincy team preparing our young soldiers to go off to combat, real combat, um, to prepare for them that some of them won't come back, but also to pick up the pieces um, when they did come back. It was an absolute honour and privilege. I loved being out in Germany at that time. I worked with lots of different units from logistics to infantry. I worked, now this is an interesting story. The infantry regiment they gave me was the first battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment. They were all from Leeds and Bradford. <laughs> so I walked in, this loudmouth cockney, all right, lads, I'm a scripture reader. And um, I can't tell you what they said because um, it's not repeatable. But once I discovered that I went to Bradford and I went to one of the roughest schools in Bradford uh, and survived as a Londoner, I had utter respect. <laughs> so God's providence, even men going to Bradford, was the right thing to do. I had questioned it up until that point. Um, what, what Roger doesn't know is in the 80s, I was actually a member of Leeds United um, because it was cheap. It was only 80 pence. So I used to go down to Ellen Road quite a lot. I hated Leeds, but I just, just like football. Um, so my, my Yorkshire battalion was fan fantastic. And they knew a lot of characters that I'd grown up with in Bradford. It was phenomenal. And, I, and so just working with those men, going to and from Afghanistan, working with beautiful female medics, about seven and a half to nine stone female medics who were going off to war and carrying 15 stone infantrymen off the battlefield. Now, I've, the, the most difficult regiment for me to work with was one medical regiment because they're the ones that get to see all the yucky stuff. They're the ones that come back from war broken. So, so to be able to inject a bit of the gospel in there before they went and why they, when they came back was absolutely vital. Uh, myself and William Wade were out in Germany together. William's an ex-boxer, Royal Irish. So we used to share the gospel through um, boxing and testimony. Basically, we'd call three soldiers up, get them to punch William, this is true, and he would forgive them, justice and mercy. 
Um, and it worked like an absolute treat. And then we'd share the gospel. I reckon we covered nearly all of the regiments that went to and from Afghanistan over that five year period with um, justice and mercy, which is poor shame for William because he used to get punched in the stomach quite a lot, um, but not shame for me because I just shared my testimony. Um, there was only one guy that punched William in the stomach and wouldn't accept forgiveness. And there was a Peter, we always had a physical training instructor there. And he, this guy would not accept for, forgiveness. So William would stand there, the soldier would come up, punch him in the stomach. He had a cast iron stomach, William. He was a trained boxer. He didn't feel it much. Um, <laughs> but this guy, and he would say, do you want forgiveness? Or do you want, and they'd say, oh yeah, please, can you forgive me? Well, one guy didn't. And it's the only time I've ever seen a scripture reader put someone on the backside. And it was it. So, but the PTI said he could. So it was only a little jab, but it was good. Um, <laughs> it demonstrated justice, to be fair. So there we go. But we did that, we did that for about four, four years while um, the Herrick tours. I don't know if you know, but um, every tour is given a name. So um, Afghanistan was Operation Herrick. Uh, Iraq was Operation Telic. Um, so they're always given names. But it was just an absolute privilege. Um, things started to wind down for us um, um, towards the end of five years. And my wife had been involved in wives ministry. She, We called it the bus stop ministry. She'd go, we got to remember, soldiers, for whatever reason, still get married young. So she'd go to the bus stop in the morning, drop Becky off to get the bus to school um, out in Germany. And she'd find weeping wives at the bus stop. And she would just scoop them up like a mother hen and take them back to my house. So I'd come home for lunch and just walk straight out again because we'd just be like crying <laughs> ladies there and weeping. And some of these girls are really young as well. It's their first time ever out of England. They go to Germany. The husbands are off fighting in Afghanistan. Or, or husbands, those wives go. I've dealt with that as well. Uh, one particular couple I can tell you about, and they don't mind me sharing this, uh, was the Bradleys, Zoe and Andy Bradley. Um, Andy had been sent out to Afghanistan. And this is very common. Zoe... Um, decided she, she would just have a little bit of a go of Foxy Bingo because she was bored. A lot of these wives didn't have to work. So she went on the internet, gone to Foxy Bingo, made a bet. The next thing she found, she was in thousands and thousands of pounds worth of debt. So gambling is serious amongst soldiers and their wives. It is an absolute nightmare. So we met with Zoe. We found her crying one day, as you do. She said, Andy's due to come back from Afghanistan and I've spent all the money and got us into debt. And he doesn't know. So I met him from the airport, uh, from the camp. Um, he was wondering why Zoe wasn't there. She was absolutely petrified. So we took him home and he reacted as I thought he would do. He was really, really angry. Um, but they stayed together and they agreed that to help their marriage, they would do a Christianity Explored course with Amanda and I. So that was our first ever Christianity Explored course was doing it with this couple who got themselves into serious debt. They had four kids and um, they both became Christians. Mm. And it's phenomenal to see that. Mm. And that led on to more Christianity Explored courses, um, to Bible studies. Um, I was involved in it, being in Germany and being a British soldier is, is so different. Um, you really are a community. You're more of a family. So everybody knows everything about each other. And so your witness had to be absolutely spot on. So really, it was training ground for whatever was going to happen um, after that. But it was a phenomenal time. So we, we got asked as a couple whether we would consider coming back to Catrick and North Yorkshire. 
Uh, to be honest with you, even Yorkshire was better than staying in Germany for much longer because the Germans are worse than the Yorkshire people, to be fair. Um, I hope there's no Germans here. I'm really sorry. I actually like German. It's all right. I just got to understand that we won the war, but it's really difficult. Um, uh, but anyway, that's another story. Um, so, so we sort of ummed and and prayed really hard about it and decided, yes, OK, if we had to go back to, um, to Yorkshire, we would. Um, my role was going to be completely different. Um, I was called to go back to the School of Infantry, uh, where they train young infantry soldiers. And this is what I joined SASRA to do. Now, I mean this in the right way in, in its context. Um, I'm a white working class boy uh, who knew nothing of the gospel. So my, my ambition was to find white working class lads from really bad backgrounds who knew nothing of Jesus Christ and to share Jesus Christ with them. That means either going to Leeds to go to a council estate or you work with the British Army because most of these guys join the British Army. In fact, a lot of them I wouldn't even call working class. They're probably the lower end of underclass. I was talking to my friends at the beginning saying that a lot of the lads that come into our place cannot read and write. This is their only chance in life. Um, they need to make a go of this because they will go to prison. They've got nothing else or they get involved in gangs or drugs or they'll kill themselves. A lot of young men are killing themselves at the minute. So to work at the Infantry Training Centre has been absolutely phenomenal. It's not just young men. So the Infantry Training Centre, where I work, takes young civilian men and trains them to be infantry fighting soldiers. That's what it does on the tin. That's what, that's what we do. It's not pink and fluffy. It's not a holiday camp. In fact, it's probably one of the most miserable places you could ever go in your entire life, which makes it fertile soil for the gospel because people are looking for some sort of good news. The staff <laughs> find it difficult because it is hard. They are as entrapped as the young men that come. So for the first 12 weeks as a duty of care, our oldest soldier is 31 years old. So you can join the infantry up until the age of 31. So imagine you've got a 31-year-old in a room and a 17-and-a-half-year-old. It's hard work because they've got to do everything together. But that's what we do. And we bring these lads in. And in 28 weeks, we, we teach them how to be infantry soldiers. And in 28 weeks, they go off to their battalions and then go somewhere around the world um, to do whatever. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, on an average good year, we will get up to 2,000 uh, young men um, through the Infantry Training Centre. Next week, we've got our first female infantiers joining the British Army. It's never been done before, uh, so this will be a first. So the dynamics of the Infantry Training Centre are going to change completely. It's really been quite interesting to watch uh, new signs going up on doors and stuff and things being ripped off walls and so you can't say that anymore. But um, so it's um, so it's been it's been quite interesting. But it's still predominantly a male orientated, testosterone filled, macho environment. Everyone is trying to outdo everyone else. And if you can imagine, say, two and a half thousand young men who are training to be infantry soldiers in one place, it can be absolutely crazy. Um, I've been there six years now. Um, and it's been absolutely phenomenal. I cannot tell you how many young men I've spoken to. I honestly can't. Um, I get to share the gospel most weeks, if not, if I'm blessed most days. Um, I work as part of the chaplaincy team there, and it's phenomenal. 
and we I work in three different ways really. First of all, to assist the chaplaincy, I call myself their driver's mates. Um, it's, it's a lonely business being a padre sometimes, and when you're at the infantry training centre, you become part of that establishment as well. The pressure is just turned up a little bit more. They have to teach character development lessons. You can probably understand the pastoral issues that we have. Last week, we had our platoon sergeant. These are week two recruits. They've only been at the ITC for two weeks. Who rang me in the Padre, asked if we would go in the evening and sit with these lads and just give them a bit of a boost. We did that. <coughs> at the end, the corporal said, does anybody want to see the Padre and the scripture reader? Half the platoon put their hands up. About 15 to 20 guys wanted to see us individually. Every single one of them came from the most horrendous home life you could possibly imagine. Some of it, I, one lad brought me to tears. It was so horrendous. And these are the lads that joined the British Army. And what do they find? Christ is there. Christ is there. We share Jesus with these men. And they listen. So this is what I will say to you about young men in general. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. They listen. First week in the British Army, we take all our recruits to church. Every single one of them. No matter what creed, colour, who they are, what they're from. They go down because we're teaching them to work as a team. To work as a family, a body of men. So one of the ways we do that is we take them to church on a Sunday. Over the last six years, I've done hundreds and hundreds of church parades. I've been blessed enough to give out thousands of copies of the New Testament and Psalms. Probably about 10,000, if I'm honest. I've probably shared the gospel with God's help, or give him all the praise for this, to at least 10,000 young men over the last six years. You cannot... If you work for Tesco's, they're not going to take you down to the church on a Sunday on your induction week if you're a butcher and give you a Bible, sing hymns of praise with you and share the gospel with you. It's absolutely phenomenal. And does it have an impact? Absolutely. What a young man will say to you at the end is, when can I go to church again? Is it possible? I'm thinking about religion. Can I come and study the Bible with you? Yes, they're probably in a vulnerable sort of position there, but it's an absolutely amazing place to share the gospel. Last week, out of those 15 guys, I had five young soldiers, some of which have been to church before, but only just to step into one, who have requested that after their duty of care finishes that we can get together and we will do a Bible study. It's absolutely phenomenal. I don't know anywhere else that happens. I really don't. I love smoking shelters. I love visiting the smoking shelters. I, please take this in the right way. I'm glad that some of our young people still smoke because while they're smoking and killing themselves, I can share the gospel with them. <laughs> Tell you what, it's a great art. If you want to do evangelism training, here's one for you, Roger. If you like a cigarette, right, and smoke it and see if someone can share the gospel by the time you finish that cigarette. It's a great, it's a great skill. But I love it. I love going to smoking shelters. And someone always asks a question, whether about prayer, saying, why are you a scripture reader? What does that mean? Do you really believe in all that sort of stuff? I love it. And on a weekly, daily basis, I, I have complete access through God's grace to every single one of these men and next week women as well. Um, I love going into the field. We do field services where, again, if you've got the right team, you can share the gospel. We teach character development lessons. They are they are life lessons, but they're a bit different. So we teach 
strength for service, the strength for used to be an infantry soldier. We talk about spiritual strength. We share testimony. We teach the right to kill. We teach morality in conflict, dealing with death, the realities of war. These are hard lessons to teach. But in every single part of that, you can bring the gospel into it. You can bring faith into it. Jesus Christ. Some of my padres have been to Afghanistan and have walked alongside where there's been car bombs and IEDs. Um, Padre, I won't won't say his name, but one of the padres used to recite Psalm 121 constantly when he was out in the battlefield. It's absolutely phenomenal. And for him to look at a man in the eye and say, you think God's not real? Let me tell you something. When I was out in Afghanistan, or for me, when I was out in Bosnia, okay, we, we can put meat on the bones to these young men. So it's absolutely phenomenal, and your prayer is vital for that. Um, I'm involved in the local schools in Catterick. There's about 26,000 soldiers in Catterick at the minute. It's the super garrison. Um, We've had some phenomenal things happen recently. Um, So garrison soldiers, the soldiers that are already at the garrisons as well. Um, we, we, We do SBS. For those that are military savvy, that stands for Special Boat Service. It's like the Special Forces of the Royal Marines. Well, for us, it's soldiers' Bible study. But it don't matter, it sounds good. Um, I've got a couple of young blokes that are tipped up to that um, that are not Christian, but they want to study the Bible. One of them's called Lee. Okay, I love Lee to bits. He's about my out. He's built like that. He's bald-headed, ex-bare-knuckle boxer. And he came to. he's only been to three Bible studies. He's never been in church much before. He came to our midweek Bible study and went, this book is amazing. This is, this, I'm, this is reading me, this book. These are his own words. And it's, once again, it just show, teaches me that Christ is, if Christ is at the centre and you're presenting the word to, to people in general, it's going to have a massive impact. And Lee loves coming to Bible study now. He's offered to get me some kit, which I said, no, it's all right, mate. No, no, you just keep coming to Bible study because I don't know where he's going to get it from. Um, <laughs> but please pray for Lee and his wife. He's got four children. Um, one of his uh, children died last year. So he's going through bereavement as well. Um, we see a lot of bereavements where we are. Uh, we get involved so every year. Um, we see bereavements that we're involved in. Um, soldiers uh, that have been in the army a while commit suicide so please pray for that as we minister to these young men and women Um, we've had three recruits in three consecutive weeks that have lost their mums while they've been in training and obviously what you've got to remember is these recruits are 18, 19 years old so their mums are only in their early Mm -hmm. 40s Um, so it's tragic but we are able to minister um, the gospel into their lives every day is a gospel opportunity. It is for all of us, really. It really is. Um, You've just got to get out there. Um, I'm excessively blessed to be part of the chaplaincy team at the ITC. I'm excessively blessed that Jesus called me to to be a fisher of men and women. Um, And it's just a phenomenal place to be a witness. I believe that we, the Lord is his hand on Sazra because we are working with a piece of the, the generation that most ministers will give their right arm to minister to. So in one year, remember, I can probably speak to about 2,000 young young people that come through the Infantry Training Centre. It is a phenomenal place to witness. Um, if you'd like to pray for me, just to stand firm, to hold ground, um, as wonderful as it, as it sounds, uh, in January, I could have left like that. 
quite easily. We have a prolonged break at Christmas. The infantry training centre shuts down for three weeks. I did not want to go back. It is all I can do sometimes to get myself out of the house and to walk onto camp. Working with the military still makes me nervous. It, it makes me feel sick on a daily basis. Um, when you see a high-ranking officer walking towards you, and you think, well, I could share the gospel with him, but shall I? When you see a group of paratroopers in a smoking shelter, and these are hard as nails, these lads. They're hard as nails, and you know you've got an opportunity to go up to them and speak to them, but you take a swerve, and then you go and pray, and you go back again. It, and the spiritual battle is immense, not just for me, for anyone involved in ministry, and for all the other scripture readers and our headquarters staff. It's a phenomenal business we're in, it really is. Um, my whole day is about sharing the gospel. Take Christ away from it, there's no point in me doing it. I'll go and do something else. But I love being able to be in the centre of it with all these young people and the military with the, with the authority to walk around with my toolkit and to open it up and just share the gospel with young men and women. Um, yes, we talk about all sorts of other stuff, but we must get to the gospel um, because that's what it's all about. So that's it. Um, I could talk. I'm, I'm a son of a market trader, so I could talk to another for another three or four hours. Um, but I'll, I'll be mingling, you know, downstairs. Please ask questions because I love answering questions, and there's no question that's daft, okay? Um, you know, if there's something you really want to know and you don't want to come and see me downstairs and have a chat. But but all I want to emphasise is this is about Jesus calling somebody in, into first of all to be a Christian and then to, then to share the gospel. And one of the things about that piece of scripture that we read earlier is, you know, I love the fact that set, I think at least seven of the disciples were fishermen. And, um, you know, they were the right people for the job. Um, we break that down into peace. They would experience pals like our soldiers do. We're a family, Christian family. They would experience purpose, um, you know, because being a Christian gives you purpose. They would experience the price. Each and every one of those disciples, bar John, would lose their lives for what they believed in. But something they would also experience as Christians is the prize. And we must keep our eyes on the prize. You know, we have a gospel. We've got good news to share. And I, I just want to encourage you tonight. Um, we've just had 900 new souls come into the Infantry Training Centre. Um, 400 of those are Nepalese. They're Gurkhas. 20 of those are Christians. So we've been able to give them New Testament and Psalms. They normally wouldn't let us do that. Um, and another 80 took New Testament and Psalms. We've given out 400 copies of the scripture since January and shared the gospel numerous number of times. But we cannot do that without your prayer and without the Lord's hand on us. Mm -hmm. So this is not about me, not about Sazra, not about 10 of those. It's all about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And we're a collective body of people here. Um, and it is all about Jesus. And it is 100% worth it. It's 100% worth it. So thank you for your...